You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the NPR News headlines, we'll have the California report from KQED Public Radio, followed by a roundup of regional weather and news. After that, volunteer reporter Heidi Starr talks to Assistant District Attorney Chris Walsh about the officer-involved shooting last Thursday in Alta Sierra. For its generous support of KVMR, we thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile, celebrating 2021 with Dave Wilson and Felix Gillet, bare root trees in stock, plus berries, grapes, cloning supplies, and more in downtown North San Juan. 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. And we thank Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. We lost the line. OMPD, pull back. OMPD, pull back up to the upper deck. Police officers at the U.S. Capitol begging for help and clearly panicked as they are overwhelmed by a mob of pro-Trump extremists last month. House impeachment managers showing in some cases never-before-seen video taken from security cameras inside the Capitol. House impeachment manager Stacey Plaskett laid the blame firmly at the feet of one person. President Trump put a target on their backs and his mob broke into the Capitol to hunt them down. The in some cases never foreseen video shows the mob threatening to kill both Vice President Mike Pence and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Both were evacuated from the U.S. Capitol January 6. So far, some 200 people have been charged in connection with the attack that claimed the lives of five people, including U.S. Capitol Police Officer. Cyber experts testified today U.S. government computers remain vulnerable to hackers as long as individual agencies all try to manage their own cybersecurity. NPR's Greg Myrie reports the congressional hearing comes in the wake of a major cyber breach blamed on Russia. Chris Krebs was the high-level government official who said last year's presidential election was carried out securely, a statement that promptly got him fired by then-President Donald Trump. Krebs stands by that position, but he told the House Committee on Homeland Security that government computer networks lack adequate safeguards because, in his words, 101 federal agencies are all responsible for their own cybersecurity. As of now, there are 101 different instances of email across the civilian agency. That's just not a defensive posture. Krebs and other witnesses called for a single body to be put in charge of cybersecurity at all civilian agencies. Greg Myrie, NPR News, Washington. The nation's top infectious disease expert says people with certain co- immune system problems can safely get vaccinated against COVID-19. NPR's Rob Stein has details. Dr. Anthony Fauci says people with immune system diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and those with weakened immune systems should not avoid vaccination. Only vaccines made from live viruses are a concern for people like that. The COVID-19 vaccines are not made with live virus. And for people concerned that taking steroids or other immune-suppressing therapies will weaken the body's response to the vaccine, Fauci says that even a weakened response is better than not getting vaccinated at all. 
Rob Stein, NPR News. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has appointed a new CEO. The powerful pro-business group announcing Suzanne Clark will take over, effective March 11th. Clark, who's currently the organization's president, will become the first woman ever to head the post. She replaces Thomas Donahue, who served as CEO for 24 years. On Wall Street today, the Dow was up 61 points. You're listening to NPR. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers celebrated their Super Bowl victory in a decidedly Floridian way with a boat parade. Mark Schreiner from member station WUSF has more on the waterfront party. Players dancing shirtless, the Vince Lombardi trophy being passed from boat to boat, and Super Bowl MVP quarterback Tom Brady piloting his own $2 million craft were among the scenes on the Hillsborough River during the Bucks parade. Fans who brought their own boats out were kept at least 50 feet away from the team's flotilla, Thousands of people jammed sidewalks and parks along the route, many maskless despite a city order. The scene looked similar to the one following the Bucks' victory Sunday night when unmasked fans packed Tampa streets. The city had threatened violators with fines before the big game, but officials reported no citations had been issued as of Tuesday. For NPR News, I'm Mark Schreiner in Tampa. The Biden administration is putting on hold a deal brokered by the Trump administration that would have called for Oracle and Walmart to purchase a major stake in the popular online video app TikTok. That's according to a report in the Wall Street Journal, which says the move by the current administration comes after courts blocked efforts by the former president to ban the Chinese-owned app in the U.S. unless an American company took it over, citing national security concerns. The Biden administration says it's comprehensively evaluating the risk to U.S. data, including from TikTok talk, or it's putting on hold the deal by U.S. companies to take over the TikTok's U.S. operations. Crude oil futures prices closed higher today. Oil up 32 cents a barrel to end the session at 58.68 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A 28-year-old man named Yahya Muslim has been arrested in Oakland in connection with violent, unprovoked assaults on elderly Asian Americans in the city's Chinatown neighborhood, assaults that have garnered national attention as possible hate crimes. Here's Alameda County District Attorney Nancy O'Malley addressing that issue at a press conference yesterday. This sound comes from KPIX in San Francisco. We work to be a unified community, respectful of the diversity. But over the years, we have seen a spike in crimes, especially violent crimes that are motivated by hate and by aggression. Alvina Wong is a campaign director for the Asian Pacific Environmental Network. She says recent budget cuts have removed community resource officers from Oakland's Chinatown. Which is very disappointing. We really need to think about how do we increase the feeling of safety over time and really think about how we can continue to build up our cultural vibrancy in the neighborhood. Others have pointed to cuts in Oakland's police department as a possible factor in the assaults. Some residents have formed a citizens group to start patrolling the city's Chinatown. Several Asian American advocacy groups in the Bay Area are also calling on the city of Oakland to provide a victim's fund for those injured in the attacks. Let's turn to L.A. Five legal aid groups are suing to end in-person traffic and eviction hearings at Los Angeles' Superior Court. They allege unsafe courtroom conditions during the pandemic put court staff and often low-income defendants of color at risk. KCRW's Anna Scott has more. 
The complaint describes poorly ventilated hallways and courtrooms, inconsistent mask wearing, and overcrowding in courthouses. Legal aid attorneys who filed the case say they and their already vulnerable clients are risking their lives for non-urgent matters because they can't afford the penalties of not showing up. Lauren Zack is an attorney with public counsel. I've been to traffic court in person more than 20 times since August of 2020 to handle citations like driving with a broken windshield or driving with expired registration stickers. Public counsel filed the suit with the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles, Inner City Law Center, Betsetic, and Neighborhood Legal Services of L.A. County. They're asking to close the courtrooms countywide until public health officials say it's safe to gather in large groups. For The California Report, I'm Anna Scott. A spokesperson for L.A.'s Superior Court didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. In environmental news, local, state, and federal agencies are investigating a spill from a wharf at Chevron's Richmond refinery into San Francisco Bay. With more, here's KQED's Dan Brecky. In a preliminary report, Chevron said a mixture of gasoline and oil leaked from a pipeline on the Long Wharf at its Richmond facility. The spill was first detected about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. The company said the material leaked at the rate of five gallons a minute and that the flow stopped about two hours after it was discovered. Chevron oil spill response contractors were dispatched to the incident. Aerial video showed an oily sheen spread for more than a mile along the Point Richmond shoreline. County health officials advised those with respiratory sensitivities in Richmond, North Richmond, and San Pablo to remain indoors during the incident. Officials from the Coast Guard, California Fish and Wildlife, and the Contra Costa Public Health Services Department are investigating. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. It often happens in the world of social media. Tweet first and get facts later. And that means people receive a barrage of hostile messages about things they've got nothing to do with. That's what happened to one state legislator, as KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer explains. It's not unusual for members of Congress to hear from angry constituents. And starting on January 6th, when supporters of Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, Central Valley Democrat Josh Harder was on the receiving end of plenty. Lots of letters and emails and and social media posts from folks. My reaction initially and, and still now is just really one of understanding. I mean, I think people have a right to be mad. Harder says they were upset about the violence and about lawmakers who refused to accept the election results. They called him an idiot and an insurrectionist. Some told him to resign. The only problem, they were angry at the wrong Josh. The messages were intended for Missouri's Republican Senator Josh Hawley. Now, the political views of Josh Harder and Josh Hawley couldn't be more different. But these angry constituents didn't seem to realize that. Some of them were were maybe a little bit over the top, but I, I certainly understand the frustration. Josh Hawley encouraged a violent mob that led to the death of five people in our nation's capital. And there should be uh, accountability for that. Congressman Harder says the confusion is easy to understand, and he sees a silver lining. In some ways, it's actually encouraging. It's encouraging to see a politician be held to account. It's just important to make sure that it's the right guy. Harder says he's never spoken to Josh Hawley. He's more interested in talking with members who are interested in finding common ground on issues like the COVID relief package. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. When you think of a hot spot for American bluegrass and folk music, you probably 
probably don't think about Los Angeles. But then you may not know about Ed Pearl, who died this week from COVID complications. Pearl was the founder of West Hollywood's legendary Ashgrove nightclub. And on its stage in the 1960s and 70s, he helped establish the careers of some major bluegrass, blues, folk, and rock artists, from Jackson Brown to Linda Ronstad to Ramblin' Jack Elliott. And this artist, Mississippi John Hurt, who you hear performing at the club in 1964. The Ashgrove became known as the West Coast University of Folk Music. Pearl also turned the club into a crossroads of political activism, organizing protests there for civil rights and against the Vietnam War. And Pearl was 88. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, February 10th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. In Northern California weather, mountain snow and valley showers are expected to develop in the afternoon Thursday with the heaviest rain and snow during Thursday evening and into Friday with snow levels at 5,000 to 6,000 feet. In the Nevada City Grass Valley area, skies are expected to become partly cloudy overnight with lows in the mid-40s. The high on Thursday will be about 50 degrees with a low of 43 degrees and rain developing in the afternoon. Weather underground is forecasting almost one and a quarter inches of rain Thursday in Nevada City. In Truckee, cloudy tonight with a low of 26 degrees. Cloudy in Truckee Thursday morning with rain and snow developing in the afternoon and continuing overnight into Friday. Truckee expects a high Thursday of 40 degrees and a low of 26. Sacramento is expecting partly cloudy conditions tonight with an overnight low of 47 degrees. Rain is expected to move into Sacramento Thursday afternoon, and the storm is expected to bring about half an inch of rain to Sacramento. The high in the city Thursday is expected to be 58 degrees with a low of 45. The Nevada County District Attorney's Office issued a news release today regarding the deputy-involved shooting death of a 33-year-old woman last Thursday in Alta Sierra. The release was available on the Union newspaper's website. The woman, identified as Ariella Sage Eloise Crawford, was with two small children when the shooting occurred. The news release stated that the DA's office has been conducting interviews related to the shooting and gathering background information to piece together what led up to it. It added, and I quote, critical evidence was collected at the scene and an autopsy has also been conducted, unquote. The news release said the DA's office is, quote, working to have the dash camera footage from the two patrol vehicles released to the public, unquote. The DA's office said that there were technical issues in synchronizing the audio from the two videos, one from each patrol vehicle present at the scene. 
The DA's office said it expects to have this work finished early next week and intends to release the footage to the public as soon as it is complete. The release also stated, and this is a quote, The dash camera footage captured the majority of the incident between Ms. Crawford and law enforcement and is very relevant towards establishing what took place. We ask for the public to be patient and wait for the evidence to be released before making any conclusions about what happened. The loss of human life is tragic. Regardless of whether the shooting is justified or not, the emotional trauma is worsened in a situation where a young woman is shot and killed in front of her children. Later in this newscast, KVMR volunteer reporter Heidi Starr interviews Assistant District Attorney Chris Walsh for his thoughts about the shooting investigation. Nevada County announced this morning that it has gone live with the state's My Turn vaccine notification and scheduling platform. The county stated on its website that an extremely limited number of appointments will be available as it tests the system for glitches. The first few appointments are a small pilot of My Turn in Nevada County. Nevada County residents who have signed up at myturn.ca.gov and are now eligible for vaccination will receive notifications that appointments are available. The county announcement said it expects these appointments to fill up very quickly. The county expects to release a larger number of appointments next week. Nevada County residents can sign up to receive notification of vaccine eligibility and open appointments at the website. The address again is myturn.ca.gov or you can call 1-833-422-4255 to register. The county website reflects that it is currently vaccinating healthcare workers and, as supplies allow, individuals 65 and older and K-12 educators. According to county spokesperson Taylor Wolf, 35,000 to 40,000 people in Nevada County are currently eligible for the vaccine. As of this week, Nevada County Public Health has received 12,700 doses of the vaccine from the state, including 2,075 this week. These numbers include first doses and some second doses. Nevada County's COVID-19 dashboard added 15 more active cases yesterday afternoon for a total of 557. Coming up next, Heidi Starr talks to Assistant District Attorney Chris Walsh about the investigation into an officer-involved shooting of a woman in Alta Sierra. The most pressing reason why I wanted to connect with you today was to talk about the unfortunate death of Deidre Hawkins, otherwise known as Sage Crawford, and the questions that that is bringing up in the community I'm wondering what you think is the most important thing for the community to hear at this time on this topic. I think the most important thing for the community to hear is to know that we're taking the case very seriously. And that what I would want people to know is that no one is going to be given special treatment. I think a lot of times there's a perception that law enforcement, uh, things get swept under the rug or they're going to be treated differently. They're not. Uh, this case will be carefully looked at, and it will be decided ultimately based upon the facts and based upon the law. And I say that because that can cut both ways. 
on one hand, this is a very uh, tragic, traumatic event. And I think there's a lot of uh, rightful anger in the community, right? You see a young woman who's shot and killed in front of her two little children. That makes a lot of people angry and upset. And that's understandable. And so what I want people to know is this is going to be carefully looked at. It's going to be carefully investigated and there's not going to be special treatment given. Now, on the other hand, that doesn't mean we're just going to go and arrest and charge people if there's not evidence to back that up. We're going to be fair on both sides. When are there going to be body cams or are there cameras on the squad cars and um what kind of improvements in accountability are in the works here in Nevada County that that could be helpful in the future or even in this particular case? So I will be the first to say, as a prosecutor, it's 2021. I think all police officers should be wearing body cameras. And I know we have, even though people tend to think of law enforcement in Nevada County, we have a number of different departments in Nevada County, and a lot of our departments do have body cameras. I know the sheriff's office does not currently have body cameras, but I know the sheriff, Shannon Moon, uh, has made it very publicly clear she wants there to be body cameras, and I believe her department is working towards doing that. They currently have dash cameras in their vehicles. So the front of patrol vehicles have video cameras, that when uh, sirens are activated starts recording and those are attached to devices on the sheriff deputies that also records audio. That's a good start and that's good progress, but I think it's very clear that law enforcement and prosecutors and the public in general expect in 2021 uh, for there to be body cameras. That's good, not just for the public and the community, for victims, for suspects, but also for law enforcement themselves. You, if you are a good police officer with nothing to hide, you should want to be able to prove that. And uh, body cameras sometimes is the very best evidence towards doing that. Well, in closing, I can appreciate that you're in a role and in a position where you are answering to many people, to a very diverse community, including law enforcement, their families, right. their supporters, and then those on the other end who are maybe very wary of law enforcement and everyone in between. Um, I'm wondering what you might say to, um, in, in closing, um, what your hope is in some, if there could be something positive coming out of this tragic situation, what do you think as, as a DA that can be? You know, this is a tragic situation. So it's tough sometimes to think of what something positive could come out of it. But the truth of the matter is, if we do this investigation in a thorough and transparent process, we can always learn from every situation. And so my hope is that uh, law enforcement and uh, the DA's office and the community in general, we're all like the big issues that were grappling with in our community, things that relate to homelessness, things that relate to mental health, things that relate to drug use. Those are all things that we're constantly learning on and learning what is the best way for law enforcement to interact with uh, those members of our community who might be struggling with those issues. 
So I think there's different aspects to this type of investigation. Obviously, first and foremost is establishing what took place and seeing if there's criminal accountability that is necessary. But then there are larger questions that you raise, uh, such as, are there better ways for law enforcement to interact with issues uh, and, and people who are suffering from different issues? And those are larger questions that I hope as a community, we can have conversations about and that law enforcement and the DA's office can be a part of those conversations so that hopefully the goal is we can improve to avoid these types of situations in the future. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Assistant District Attorney Chris Walsh, and I'm Heidi Starr for KVMR News. Next up, Felton Pruitt checks in with Gretchen Bond about the latest from the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. It's time for the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce report. We've got Gretchen Bond on the line with us. Gretchen, can you let us know what the latest is with the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce? Yes. Um, thanks so much, Felton, for having me on this week. So the Nevada City Chamber, due to COVID-19, the offices are still closed to the public because our office is really small and it's, you know, it's not something that we feel comfortable having the public come into. But the office is open Tuesday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then we do have the visitor center open on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And it's been pretty steady. We've had a lot of visitors come in. It's pretty fun. We actually are looking for people to volunteer in the visitor center on the weekends. And what I can tell you is I've been volunteering, and it's really nice. People are really happy. If you need a pick-me-up, it's a perfect volunteer job because you get to talk about all the wonderful things about Nevada City and Nevada County and, you know, people are anxious to, to know about all the fun things there are to do around here. So, And what else is going on with our beautiful city here? Well, unfortunately, we were not able to have our annual award and installation dinner this year, which we usually celebrate at the Miners Foundry Cultural Center. This year would have been our 119th annual installation and awards dinner. And instead, we did make the awards. We did give out the awards and have notified all the awardees. But what we will be doing is we will be posting later this month an online video tribute to this year's awardees. Can you so, announce them now, or do we have to save yeah, that for oh, later? Definitely. definitely. The, um, the Elza Kilroy Award went to the Nevada County Relief Fund, and that's for the group's work in leading the community to raise over a million dollars to support local businesses impacted by COVID-19, which is a remarkable feat, I think, for our small community to have been able to do that. So we felt that the Elza Kilroy Award was definitely deserved to be given to them. And then Nevada County photographer, author, hiking guide, and historian Hank Meals received the Dave Irons Lifetime Achievement Award for his efforts in sharing natural history stories of the Uber River watershed. He's a wealth of knowledge about all of our communities, our trails. When did the Dave Irons Award come up? Because we all love Dave so much, and he did so much for our community. I didn't know that there was a Dave Irons Award. Yes, it actually, the chamber, um, I'm trying to think, I think it was the year after Dave passed away, the chamber decided that they wanted to honor him and his contributions to the community by naming an award after him, and a Lifetime Achievement Award seemed really appropriate. Yeah, and Hank is a great recipient for this year then. Totally. It was hands down. It was was a... (laughs) 
And then um, the Dr. Leland and Sally Lewis Visual Arts Award is going to the Nevada County Arts Council for their work on what a relief, the Artist Relief Fund, to support local working artists. And again, you know, this is COVID-related. You know, it's the Nevada County Arts Council worked really hard to raise money so that we could support our local artists as well. Then we also have the Dr. Leland and Sally Lewis Performing Arts Award, and that went to the Sierra Poetry Festival, which couldn't happen this year. And we're hoping it might be able to happen in some form in 2021. And then the Sands Hall Architectural Award went to the Nevada County Narrow Gauge Railroad Museum for their extensive remodel and expansion at the intersection of Sacramento and Railroad Avenue, also known as Clamper Square. I, I don't know if you've been over there. They've done a wonderful job of, with that. And then lastly, the Live Music Award is being awarded to Peter Wilson. And for those of for those people who don't know, he's performed extensively as a solo act with groups such as the Deadbeats and Troubadour Camp. And he's a founding member of Paul Emery's A Thousand Kisses Deep, the songs of Leonard Cohen. And he's worked with the Center for the Arts and the Miners Foundry Cultural Center, as well as world-renowned fiddler Alistair Frazier to bring artists to Nevada County. So he definitely deserves that award. Well, thank you so much. This has been the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce Report with Gretchen Bond. Thank you much, Gretchen. Thanks so much, Felton. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR-FM in Nevada City. Coming up next at 6.30, a very special edition of The Sages Among Us. Keith Porter will spend a full half hour with a live interview of Dr. Scott Kellerman, Nevada County's public health officer, about how his life experiences have prepared him for his current position responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs at 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. If you'd like your voice heard on the newscast, think about submitting a commentary to news at kvmr.org. Commentary guidelines can be found at kvmr.org under the news section.